Welcome to my so-called sustainable life, a podcast where we compare our personal sustainability lives with our professional one. We share candid conversations, interview guests, and get real about the realities of working in sustainability while also working towards a more just future, all in the name of mitigating our climate anxiety. Sustainable Concordia would like to acknowledge that my so-called sustainable life is recorded on the unceded territory of the Ganyan Gehaga and the Haudenosaunee in Jojage. We are committed to listening to and collaborating with the original stewards of this land. Go to nativeland.ca to find out more about the territories we are on as Turtle Island inhabitants. We'd also like to acknowledge that the physical space we work out of is currently inaccessible and that we are committed to making our programming accessible for everyone in spite of this. Welcome back. Hi, Maria. Hey. Hi. Uh, okay, so I'm Paige. And I just got back from my one-week vacation. So I'm feeling well-rested, ready, focused, and galvanized. How you doing? <laughs> I'm still struggling with the concept of time, you know. That's that. Yeah, I feel like podcasting is new to us. But yeah, it's an exciting episode because we're talking about fast fashion still. We're going to be talking about two pieces of media. So the first one is a documentary called Blood, Sweat, and Mm T-Shirts, which is from 2008. (laughs) But I thought it was a very interesting like look into the different kind of factories that there are and like truly how much work garment workers actually do like on a regular basis yeah and sometimes I like to think is it chosen work or it's like work that's kind of like necessary anyways we'll get into it and then we're going to talk about a podcast episode from the podcast wardrobe crisis I guess they had a guest on there who was a garment worker. And so it's good to have that. I mean, it's still secondary (laughs) sources, but good to have words from the actual people involved. Because again, 50% (laughs) of the people at the table should be garment workers. And neither of us are garment workers at this time. So again, we failed, but we're working on that. (laughs) Yeah. Stay tuned. (laughs) I think it's also going to be interesting to talk about how, uh, you know, the point of views of a consumer from the first uh, docu-series that we're going to be talking about and then the point of view of a garment worker, because actually those two people are big stakeholders in the fashion industry, you know, the people that make our clothes and the people that use them. Woo! <laughs> but first we got to talk about my fast fashion journey update because it's not a good one. <laughs> It's actually horrible. (laughs) I mean, I just am like realizing that I've replicated the the dynamics of fast fashion consumerism as in a microcosm, like in my apartment (laughs) and like in my like life. I've been trying to purge my stuff for a long time. I feel like everybody wants to be a minimalist, but like we all have stuff. (laughs) That minimalism isn't really practical for me. And I feel like I have to have a lot of tchotchkes and trinkets Mm -hmm. and like stuff to look at to feel regularly stimulated but yeah so I was giving away clothes for a while now basically since the summer but yeah so I got somebody on buns thankfully to like come get the clothes and like 
hopefully bring them to a shelter. But also because of COVID, a lot of the shelters were like not accepting clothes. So this person was like, I'll keep them in my basement until like the shelters are accepting clothes again. And I was like, thank you. That's like, I really appreciate that. And unfortunately, I got a message last week where this person was like, hey, the clothes are still in my basement. And I donated these clothes like maybe November, maybe not totally summer, because I've just been in, in such like a flurry of like getting things. It's not what I it's not the right thing trying to get rid of it and then never, not being able to. Get rid of it. I feel like part of that is the buns economy is crashing. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> and a lot of buns people who are like giving stuff away are like, free if you can come pick it up. And also, I live in Rimouski. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just something interesting. I think the, the buns economy, which is like the exchange um, and also just even thrifting, it's like it perpetuates this culture of like continuing to buy, 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 and then give it away. Yeah. So we're not really addressing why we're getting these free things like do we need these free things or are we just getting it because it's free because listen I've been there <laughs> I'm like I love me free things but then at the end of the day I'm like I actually don't need all this free stuff so oh none of this stuff was free <laughs> no but I mean oh but buns yeah yeah okay culture, yeah you know clarification buns is a trading app in Montreal that a trading Facebook group in Montreal that's supposed to be without money. Great. I think it's great. Honestly, for me, that's a version of a circular economy. Yeah. Know? And I think it's really wonderful. It's just inherently, we just have this consumption problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I wanted to clarify because in the last episode, I was like talking about how we're not like entitled to use this land or like not entitled to like to consume on this land and I still feel like that's true and yeah I want to acknowledge like complicated immigrant black relationships to the land but we're in a period like right now in this world like globally that we're already over the consumption of like what one planet should use in like a year well there's like an international day that like marks the day of the year where we've maxed out all the resources that are allotted to us like and usually that day is like in august yeah so it's earth overshoot day earth overshoot day 2021 that was on july 29th the day when we exhausted nature's budget for the year right it gets complicated because you're also thinking about like the land that you're on yeah but that's sort of the point that i was trying to make that like we've already use more resources a hundred percent and when i think about consumption i'm not just talking about earth's resources although that's the thing that is affecting us right now but there's other things that we consume that we don't know about like just to bring it back to thinking about fashion it's like i myself as a consumer i'm spending time seeing what's the trend or what's you know on sale or what's really cool and that's time that i can be doing not thinking about that so we're also consuming our time to be more free with our thoughts to be happy and to not be so tied to this idea of like what's cool which fashion at the end of the day it's known to be as like forecast 
trends and a lot of people look to fashion for cultural references and and back in the day used to be a lot more liberating but now I think because we're just so used to this like consumption model it's like we're always like on our phones consuming data information Mm -hmm. which also takes up a lot of our time right and the colonial mindset is to turn anything that gives you joy into some kind of capitalist profit yes and that also reminded me I want to make a distinction between fashion and style mm-hmm. because the fashion industry turns out trends and like predicts them and those trends are kind of maybe in like the tiniest sense grounded in reality <laughs> I don't know um, because like who are these designers designing for in the end like are they they're designing for celebrities who want to look normal or are they designing for like the everyday person who actually has to have like functional clothing I totally agree with you it's I feel like for me fashion has been this liberating art form where you're like able to express yourself have your own style but like obviously with capitalism and the backbone of colonialism it's we need to sell products to extract resources from everyone right so it's like, I guess it's, it's tricky. <laughs> it's run DMC levels of tricky. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky, 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 tricky. Just a quick clarification. So style, because I feel like the industry has like a, respo- a responsibility or has like taken it upon itself to like basically feed you trends. But style is sort of what you do with it and how you, I guess, take the fashion which kind of exists in a vacuum if you think about Mm -hmm. it it's not really I mean maybe there was a time when it was thinking about all the different dynamics that a person can bring to a conversation but now it's like classist elitist racist right yeah so it doesn't exist in a vacuum or it does exist in a vacuum and style is kind of our way of like pulling it out Mm -hmm. and taking it back I mean, at least that's sort of how I've always made the distinction because I kind of want to stay above the idea of micro trends or like, I really just want to have one look. But then also with like sizing, this isn't even the end of my update because I watched The Craft this weekend. The original? Yes, the original because I have the Rachel True tarot card deck. (laughs) And so I watched The Craft with two friends from our anti-carceral artist collective volta always be plugging <laughs> and um we dressed up and everything and i was like wait goth look i love it <laughs> and i had to fight the urge to like not immediately go online and find goth pieces yeah. you know <laughs> then i also thought about it and it's been two weeks since i've purchased an item of clothing from a fast fashion retailer or any item of clothing, which is not a long time, but I'm working on it. <laughs> the other part of my update is that I want to be goth now. <laughs> How do I do that sustainably? I gotta, yeah. I, I want to overhaul my wardrobe again. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, because I've done what you are talking about. Like I just purged a couple of years ago and was like, I'm going to just keep basic pieces. And I have, and I've like found ways to like repurpose them, like different designs on them embroideries just to make them look fresh and new or like pair them with different things but at the end of the day sometimes I'm like it feels so restrictive to think about living a sustainable quote unquote my sustainable so-called fashion life to just have this like small wardrobe because at the end of the day it's like I 
like to have different ways to express myself. And some days I have this mood and another day I have that. I think it's just finding creative ways to like still keep the style and pull it out of the fashion industry. And I think you can totally have the moment of your goth looks and go thrifting, find some key pieces, trade with friends. Like there is a way and I don't want us to, you know, go into this trap of like, we need to get rid of everything and deprive ourselves from things. It's like, for me personally, I've done it. I'm just like, it just feels restricted. Right. I have some goth pieces, so I feel like I won't have to go. Yeah. Like, obviously, I'm not going to overhaul my whole wardrobe, but it's just like the fact that that was an automatic I know. thought or like, oh, this is an aesthetic I'd never even, because I'd never even like heard of the craft, which what? I've been robbed. <laughs> Listen, I didn't have a childhood. <laughs> I was raised by television, but only Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah, so I hadn't even heard of the craft. I didn't I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. And then I saw it and I was like, wait, this is amazing. Also, this look is amazing. <laughs> like, And my friends looked so good. And I was like, I could do that too. That we could all look good. I mean, I also looked good, but I, I was wearing sweatpants. <laughs> okay, I avoided Black Friday sales, which Yay. I realized I have a lot of privilege in doing that there are a lot of people who can't afford to avoid black friday sales but currently now i am one of those people so i avoided them and cyber monday which is a new thing i mean not that new but like oh god like how many days of of consumption can you put into one calendar year like well i mean 365 if the capitalists have their way so it's so funny my my mom who is so fashionista like I think I got into fashion because she just really she's someone who works hard for for her money and likes to spend it on nice things comes from the era of the 80s and is obsessed with sales so a few years ago my mom and I would count down to Black Friday because I I used to be a really I got into fast fashion you know when Forever 21 came out and I really got deep into it and like my, my mom who loves sales of course it was like the perfect storm and we would go to stores and like camp out for like a pair of Ugg boots. Whoa. <laughs> Listen, this is a real tea right now. Yes, I used to wear Uggs. It, you know what? I think they're having a comeback. Yeah, Uggs are great. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing is, my mom, I've noticed throughout the years since, since I've had, I guess, my own fast fashion awakening is that like sometimes she'll just buy things because they're on sale. Yes. And like she will have things that are still have the sale mark in our basement and haven't been opened yet but I'm totally a participant in that because I was just like I need things to make me feel good and that's another deeper conversation that I'm now thinking about because like we've said before now everyone knows that we've used up our resources on earth so it's like you've heard it here <laughs> you've heard it so here, now folks. everybody knows <laughs> everyone in the whole world so like stop using the resources that you can control which is your time your energy your being to not feed into what you think you should look like and just buy things on sale but you know I've had this conversation with my mom and throughout all my years thinking and looking and having this tension with fashion and how much I love it but also I'm so jaded by the industry but still navigating through that complexity and communicating that with my mom she sent me a message this Black Friday She's like, I'm not buying anything. <gasps> I guess on a slightly positive note about all this is that my mom is a trend follower. 
So this means that sustainable fashion, quote unquote, whatever it is, is making a trend and she's listening. And so others, I think at least people are having more conversation. Yes. With the caveat being that the most sustainable garment in your wardrobe is one you already have. Well, I was just going to say, also, I think we should reframe the way we look at and define sustainable fashion. I feel like maybe because it's such a big term, we can't just categorize you know, like innovative textiles with like community work with like garment workers. It's like every single brand has their proper way to create and contribute differently to the system. So it's like, we have to allow each brand to do what feels right for them. And so it's like, when we look at sustainable fashion, let's focus on like these up and coming designers who are actually wanting to start their company from like really good roots. Just, I think just wanting to to reframe fashion and sustainable fashion in different ways. Cause I feel like when we hear fashion, we just get so overwhelmed that like, yes, it does this terrible negative feedback cycle where you just get overwhelmed. So you're like, well, I'm just gonna buy something else and like, forget about it and just, yeah. you know. So to avoid getting into this cyclical hate cycle, let's pivot and you in the last episode have said that you're influenced by detectives <laughs> in your style and so I want to know if you know who Inspector Gadget is do I know Inspector Gadget please and we're best friends okay so is your style influenced by <laughs> Inspector Gadget in the utilitarian way yes I knew you were gonna say I I was like so hopeful you'd say that because I also feel like I want myself to be utilitarian too. Like I'm, I'm, I love a good cargo pant, but I need high waisted. Okay. And I need a good waist to hip ratio of a cargo pant. And that doesn't exist yet. You know why? Cause cargo pants, they're for white men. Yes. 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 Hi Riley, my cousin. <laughs> He's the cargo pants trendsetter. <laughs> Anyways. So you said utilitarian. Who else? Who else do you think inspires <laughs> that? I mean, recently it's been shifting, but I feel like at the core of it, I really love everything 90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I'm like feeling the vibe of like the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it's coming back. It's really coming back. And what I like about it is like the fluidity of things from, from the 70s, but also like it's everything is fitted, but loose. Right. Know that make, you know no, what yes. I mean? Yeah. So, okay. Nineties for sure. Like nineties for sure. And I think also because in the nineties, there were so many different movements that were like quote unquote counterculture, Yes. you know? So there's so much, like, sometimes I'm like feeling more grunge. Sometimes it's more like, I don't know. Queer core, homo exactly. core. <laughs> That's what it's called. Yeah. Is Riot Girl? Riot Girl's like closer to the 2000s. Yeah. Green Day. They have 10 True. albums. <laughs> They're 2000s and 90s. Yeah. And I think that's what's fun about it because it's like, that's the difference between style and fashion. Just going back to that too. It's like, fashion doesn't really have, like, it's more of like the name of the structure of the system. Style, I think, is what really communicates these like images and this like message to people. Right. You know, when I, why I'm drawn to like, I don't know, 70s styles, because it was a, it was a nice free time back then. <laughs> Give me three characters, fictional characters, I want to say. They could be cartoons or they could be live action that describe your fashion sense. I'll help you by, uh, so for the goth look that I was going for or like that I, you know, was dreaming of, 
<laughs> uh, post the craft. I feel like I want a combination of like Kim Possible always, but I guess more Lara Croft because I'm an adult. Lara Croft Thorn from the Hex Girls. Do you know the Hex Girls? I love the Hex Girls. <gasps> Scooby Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Thorn from the Hex Girls. And they had a song and it was like, I'm a Hex Girl and I'm going to put a spell on you. Anyways, Thorn from, the- yes, uh... see? Everyone go Google it. Thorn, Lara Croft, and a little bit of like Avril Lavigne Skater Boy era. Because mm. I like this, like, I'm a rock, her thing where she's like, I'm a rock chick. I just want to rock. And I like the loose pants. So do you have any other updates? No really other updates except for that I, you know, this is Black Friday just passed. So that was really kind of on my mind and just being like, oh my God, consumption problems. And just like, you know, seeing these images and the data of like how so much of that we purchased during Black Friday goes into landfill. And yeah, I guess I was just like, wow, it really, Black Friday does mark, you know, the season of the holidays, which is about giving. And I guess that's just kind of what I've been thinking about is like, what is giving tied into consumption? That's, I guess, my updates for this week. Cause like mm-hmm. Black Friday is definitely like, it's, it's a, it's a vibe. Like people are still heavily involved in it. Okay. So I've thought about your question, three characters. <laughs> You know, the Inspector Gadget thing is is really good because spot I think, on, right? Yeah, it's really spot, spot on, right? It's the trench. Let me can I just explain the rationale behind it? Okay, it's the hat, first of all, is like I love this. Hat. Tell us about the hat. Okay, so this hat this past weekend, because a friend of mine came to visit, and right now is like the season of church basement. <gasps> Oh my God, the finds you get there, you're just like, wow. And these people- and People don't know, church basement. the best. (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, so this hat, we had our own, I guess, consumer vibes. And I bought a couple of stuff this past weekend. So this turtleneck I got, and I'm like, oh my God. And I paid $15 for this turtleneck. And it used to be the turtleneck that sponsored the Canadian ski team. What? <laughs> so I'm like warm. And it's the color utilitarian. of utilitarian. <laughs> utilitarian. Yeah. So Whoa. yes, Inspector Gadget <laughs> for sure is definitely one of them. Thank you for making me realize that because I've always wanted to be Inspector Gadget for Halloween, but I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, seriously. But I'm like, I guess subconsciously, I'm like, I guess I live it out day to day, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. The dorky, I guess, are nerdy aesthetic preppy I've also done too and sometimes I feel like it's also integrated into my style and oddly enough I guess it's because I've watched so much Arthur every day when you're walking down the street (laughs) I love like Arthur's like cute glasses you know the vest the yellow the yellow sweater is iconic with the red glass exactly and then DW and exactly Mm -hmm. with the with the vibe of DW who's just like cool yeah. And then also, I guess the third character, do you know Darren from Sailor Moon? Sailor Moon has a love interest. Okay. Darren is like, always has this like rose. And I just really love, I don't know, his tuxedo, even though I've never worn one, but I just, I, I love like the romance behind it, how clean it is. And just like. Okay. I, I do see. I do see what you are. You understood the assignment. <laughs> I feel like Arthur, Inspector Gadget, and this man, Dar- <laughs> Darian Shields, 
that's you oh my god i totally see it like the turtleneck because i feel like darian he has like the clean lines yeah inspector gadget has like the eclectic and then arthur's got like the nerd vibes yeah i see it with like the glasses and the (laughs) yeah 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 because as you guys know nerds and glasses iconic duo duo. (laughs) name a better duo i'll wait speaking (sighs) of waiting time to talk about the meat of the issue um i watched this documentary called blood sweat and t-shirts and it's about five teens and young adult who go to factories in the global south in india and they are like stereotypically spoiled british children who are really into shopping on the uk strip so this is a british perspective but i feel like that's kind of similar to what we have going on here mm-hmm. it's actually part of a series they like they do other things like in the next installment they go to a cotton plant so like it's kind of wild the five teens that are in this documentary are amrita georgina richard stacy mark and tara and Stacy is actually Stacy Dooley, who's I think maybe a tad controversial, but what investigative journalist isn't? Okay. But yeah, like this is like vintage Stacy Dooley content. This is her like as like a 15, 16, 17. She's like 16. Here. Yeah. But yeah, she's definitely like a child. Yeah, so baby Stacy Dooley, which is adorable. Emrita, who's like a British asian so she's i'm brit asian and her she's like first generation and her dad is this adorable like sikh businessman guy and he's just like she's very spoiled (laughs) at least you can admit it yeah (laughs) then there's richard who is a total asshole throughout the documentary only slightly improves i would say and then mark and and tara they're honestly forgettable no offense mark and tara actually tara was actually good enough on the machine that she got a job like she got a better job they made her the person that sorts through the garments at the end Mm. so she didn't have to be on the floor there was a lot of weird dynamics about this i think it was definitely there was a lot of white saviorism Mm. specifically like emrita she says I don't care who makes my clothes because they all are very spoiled. She's like, I don't care if it's a three-year-old or a 50-year-old making my clothes, which I'm extremely grateful that there's not like footage of me saying that (laughs) in eighth grade in like 2008, actually probably more closer to 2005 because I feel like they filmed it for a few years, maybe. She was like, I hate it here. It's claustrophobic. It's obviously she's like the first one affected seeing people in like factory and seeing like the conditions of the factory she's like this is horrible this is a prison like how could they live like this and then she sort of is like grumpy for the rest of it but doesn't say I don't care if it's a three-year-old making my garment (laughs) that was shocking to hear like I don't have the same feeling obviously but before you learn about fast fashion like you are thinking like oh it's somebody's job you kind of know like the vagueness of different working conditions so yeah they could be really old but like I guess you're not thinking about the personal lives of the garment workers that are making your garments in the global south which is intentional obviously the idea is they go to like three different factories and it starts out they go to 
what seems nice, like a nice factory. There's this head guy. They are all living in with host families. They have big families and they're poor. So they go to the factory. It's like all lined up. There's lighting, fluorescent lights. And no one's allowed to leave out of their line, right? So if you need like a glass of water, there's like somebody that's like circling to go get that for you yeah it was just hard to watch because I was like this is awful and so they go into this um and they're like ugh, like these conditions suck and this is so difficult and obviously they're horrible at it like Mark and Richard are like we hate it here and not fast enough not fast enough missing stitches and all these things so they're horrible at it they basically don't make any garments but the way that this fa- this factory works is like everybody makes like one piece they and they go like down the line one person will do like one stitch for like a sleeve and then they give it to the next person and they'll do the collar right yeah. so these people are not even making full garments exactly it's it's not even like because sewing and garment making is a skill and a I completely agree with you. It's really frustrating how garment making has been like reduced to this production line. Yeah. You know, that's literally all, all it is. So it's, it's not even like these skills are transferable. It's like, you're just learning how to do one stitch or learning how to do one part of the garment. And it, it's really frustrating that on top of these actual garment, like locations are in like precarious areas. Yeah. And like people are living and working in there and it's just like, oh, not, and it's very much not safe. That was the first factory and the guy was pretty nice. Okay. And then Richard, another thing about Richard is that he comes from council housing. So he grew up like on welfare. He was just like, yeah, you just have to like pull yourself up out of your bootstraps. Like he's like that kind of guy. Yeah. And now he's like a big fashion executive or like some they're all like into fashion in some kind of way. Hmm. Tara's mom is a seamstress. Mm-hmm. And so she is like, wow, I can't believe my mom makes these like garments. And I can't believe these people have to make them. And it's like so much more of a process. And the mom was excited for her to like get sewing skills, which is like, like you said, you don't even really get sewing skills. Yeah. And there are th- then there are skilled jobs and unskilled jobs. So at, like they started them off at the highest job, which is like the collar or the sleeve, which basically like the most detail. And they all got demoted. So Richard and Georgina, they moved to a different part of the garment, like the cuff or something. And then they got demoted again. They were button closers. Mm-hmm. And that's the lowest skilled job. Yeah, they were like, this is so stupid. Uh, This is so repetitive and like monotonous. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because sewing is considered a skill, but like ironing isn't. Mm. So I guess the next lowest job after button closing is like ironing. Or it it was like sewing, ironing, button closing. Okay, so they go to the next factory. It's with some, a place called Starcraft Industries. Have you ever heard of them? No, sounds like a spaceship. Yeah. And that made me wonder like how much of the labor is like its own division where designers could be like, oh, that's not me. That's Starcraft Industries. Mm. You know, we outsource or like how involved is a designer in like choosing how their clothes gets manufactured? Yeah, I think that's a lot of the things too when people talk about like going towards a more sustainable fashion industry is like transparency. 
being like, we are working with this garment factory. This is our supplier. The blue on this shirt is dyed this way, except a lot of designers don't know because like, it's so opaque and everything is like the middlemen who like handle all these contacts. It's like, you know, a friend of a friend who can get you a better deal. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's like working in this like way where you're like, I want to be transparent, but it's almost impossible because no one is giving me this like information. Right. So it it also depends like if you're an up and coming designer, if you're an established one, like, because it costs more money to make things not even better, but just to know where your things are coming from, you know, to have that information because a lot of the times that's why things are so cheap is because the margins just keep getting cut down. Mm -hmm. And the fashion industry, like, we said earlier, it's a direct reflection of where we are right now in society. And we are in a phase of hyper capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, like I know so many up and coming independent designer friends who haven't been able to continue their brand. Cause it's like impossible to just really make an actual living from your brand and pay yourself and like everyone around you fairly and continue to make collections. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like the market demand and for what you want to do there's there's a big friction and that's tea because in the next thing that we're talking about they call out calvin klein calvin klein are you listening (laughs) but yeah that made me think about it like huge rich designers they've never had to even look into ethical situations because their brand already works and nobody's asking questions because they trust the brand but now I don't trust you, Calvin. And even like a bigger brand, like I think it was a couple of years ago when Burberry, people found out that they were burning right. last season stuff. Aeropostale too and yeah. like Abercrombie and Fitch. Because it like devalues the pack, like the new season's look. So yeah. it's just, it's really crazy. A lot of these rules are arbitrary and it's really based off of this culture that we have created around fashion. Right. Oh God, yeah. The devaluing of the looks. It's also like, Aeropostale I remember when this happened or maybe it was Abercrombie and Fitch the CEO is this guy with like lots of like plastic surgery like he's recognizable in that way but yeah he went on a rant and he was like we don't want any black people working here nobody too fat like nobody more than a size 10 can shop here he also revealed that like they burn the clothes because they don't want anybody who's not that wearing the clothes so like instead of donating to a homeless shelter they burn the clothes it's uh mike jeffries he's the ceo of abercrombie and fitch boo boo mike jeffries if i see you in the street it's on site did he die is he dead what's his (laughs) how old is he he is still alive uh he's 77 years old Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. Someone I know was had like a defect on a boot that they ordered. And they were like, hey, what do I do? I want a new pair. And they were like, okay, we'll send you a new pair. But can you cut the tongue off the shoe? And can you send us a picture when once you've done it? Because they want that out of circulation. You want me to send you a picture? That's where you're (laughs) that's where you're demanding accountability from the fashion industry. And it's just so frustrating because it's like, hello, what about the people that made the shoe, that made these clothes? It's like literally 
their blood, sweat, tears are just like going down, all going yeah. to me. And the, throughout the whole documentary, they're like, you know, like they're used to this, but we're not like, you can't just put us in this. And like, yeah, they're used to it, but that doesn't mean it's good. Like if you hate it, then chances are they hate it too. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like they're like, wow, I'm so excited to go to one of the factories. I can't remember if it was the second one or the last one. I feel like it was the last one. It's an 18 hour day kind of factory. And it's like literally behind cow dung is like how the narrator talked about it which is kind of frustrating in its own right but they were saying that it's like in the poorest part of west new delhi and it's like hard and out of the way to get to and then once you get there you have to make a certain amount of garments and it's everybody is making a whole garment so that's a whole other skill set they have to make a whole garment and you have to learn stuff like different pleats ruffles how to do ruffles different seams like which I mean I mean how much instruction can you give somebody and then for this factory the power would go in and out and I think in the second factory they had like one bathroom for 30 people and it was like up on the roof they had a generator and like the bathroom was gross obviously in the third in the West New Delhi factory, they had to just sleep on the floor and women had to sleep in like a room and like the men would just sleep like on the floor. It's cold. There's no heat. And they were really upset about having to like live these conditions. And they're like, okay, we could either work our full 18 hours and then get to go home or we could quit and just go get food. So they go to get food. They're like, we're going to go get dinner to escape this. And then Richard goes on a racist tie rant in the restaurant where he's like, I don't like anyone that I've met here. I don't like it here. And it's like, if they're mean to you, it's because they're in horrible conditions. Like, and you're being an asshole. And then an, an, another guy uh, in the restaurant speaks up to him and is like, you can't come here and say this stuff. Like, it's really rude. And Stacy Dooley baby of my heart she was like if, if somebody came to the UK and they were talking shit about my country I'd be pissed too I mean I'm paraphrasing and then they have to go across town to do something and they walk there or they like drive there and so they have to see parts of the city and Richard's like it's disgusting because there's no like municipal garbage pickup and that's like a privilege like these kids the whole time like don't really acknowledge their privilege like it's not because people are like I love having garbage on my streets that there's garbage on the streets it's not an aesthetic choice but yeah Richard quizzes one of the 45 year old workers and he's like trying to understand why the workers accept their situation and he asks him like do you, and this is all done through translators so it's frustrating to watch Richard be like I don't understand and it's like you're being willfully obtuse my dude he asks him do you feel like you have the opportunity to have an education if you want one and he says I could do school right now like as in I'm smart enough <laughs> like but I can't afford it and he says, I'd rather pay for my kids' education so they can have a better life. And the sad part was that he literally says, like, my life is pretty much over now. I'm working for my children to have a better life than me. And 45 is young. Yeah. And I think it's just, like, frustrating when people think that this is a choice that people want to do, like, that they want to abandon, not a, but, like, work extremely at these, like, terrible wages. Yeah. And they're questioning them to be like, why are you doing this? why aren't you with your family like there's no choice yeah and that's a real frustrating thing. that's what's in my notes 
there are no evenings there is no outside of work because Richard was like why don't you take night school it's like I get off he literally says I get off work at 9 10 11 12 <laughs> and he wants to spend time with his kids like education is a part of self-actualization on Maslow's pyramid of needs which is misappropriated and mostly colonist bullshit but like what we've learned is like self-actualization is like after food and shelter mm-hmm. he's working on food and shelter he doesn't have time yeah. to work yeah. on self-actualization this is the third factory and Tara has been given a job where she's doing quality control mm-hmm. they have to make 36 garments and they make like 16 and none of them work and then they make another 29 and and then they get 147 rupees that's like their salary <laughs> and they're like obviously horrified but there's a part where they try to go buy stuff at a store mm. they're like oh we got to go buy some deodorant and the deodorant cost more than what they made that was personally shocking to me i have known the statistics that there's many people in the global south that live with less than two dollars a day but like watching them they try to buy deodorant and it's too much anyways extremely sobering experience i i just can't even think of like feeding into those factory like dynamics and i guess i'm torn because it's like i do want factory workers to have money mm-hmm. well yeah i think that's another thing too i'm like it just it sucks really that like the garment factory workers story is often seen as this yeah and it is a respectable job like my dad when we came into this country was a factory worker he, he worked at gildan he became he later became one of the supervisors at gildan whoa you know it's from montreal maybe if you've ever months. run any marathon <laughs> if you've ever had to print any sweater yeah it's like it should be a respectable job because it's like we still need clothes and people like this is a, a skill set that people have we need to view garment workers as human beings yes we see okay so this is a very sp- specific docu series on a specific area that's like kind of far removed from where we're currently are on yeah the turtle island in north america yeah. like but but there are some factories that you would think are okay that you know there's factory and gar- garment workers in California and it's not any better the laws that have been passed with like child labor and all that stuff like haven't been revised since they've been passed and like a lot of these garment factory owners are like monopolizing on like the market and also like reaching out to undocumented immigrants to like work yes. in these places i was aware of that for sure and i and i think that that's a thousand percent a situation that could replicate in montreal oh, like 100%. yeah it's wild how all these disgusting industries are linked because nasma Acker, who was the guest for wardrobe crisis she schooled me like she said it's a 10 cent increase in price so your t-shirt that cost six dollars now costs six dollars and 10 cents like if your rent went up by 10 cents you'd do nothing anyways so she said it was a 10 cent difference from getting a shirt that's like ethically made to getting a shirt that's yeah steeped in violence <laughs> ethically you know in this part of like paying the garment workers a living wage because in a lot of these factories also in different parts of the world it's like the amount of pollution that happens it's really terrible conditions that they live in like a lot of it is like these microfibers that are collecting in the factories there's no ventilation right so people are literally 
inhaling microplastics because a lot of the clothing is like polyester. So that's just a tiny part of it. And there's no comfortable chairs. Like it's not conditions you would accept for yourself. Yeah. So I think it is really important that we talk about garment workers and that we center these stories. So the podcast wardrobe crisis with claire press there was a really really interesting guest that came on this episode was only 45 minutes so and and the interview part is relatively small so like it was extremely digestible so let me just say that props to you claire press but yeah so she started working at a factory when she was 11 years old what were you doing when you were 11 playing detective gadget (laughs) Playing Totally Spies. Yeah. Yeah. And then started mobilizing for worker rights and better conditions in the factory at 14. Yeah. A a freshman in high school. I mean, not, but like I was a freshman. Yeah. I mean, and that's usually how it goes. It's like people that are directly influencing these things. Again, like we said earlier, don't have a choice but to like change their situation. Yeah, she's she's really inspiring. She said that in her experience, the violence comes from the men that run the Mm. factories. And there's a lot of gender-based violence in the fast fashion industry. And I just thought that that was interesting because it's feminized job. So there's a lot of female garment workers, but they don't have a say. And I also didn't know that like women who go to be garment workers in the global South are like considered loose women. Yeah. The idea is that if you are a garment worker, like men will know that you need something to supplement your income. And a lot of what happens is sex work and sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And that was wild to me. Like I never even really considered the idea that men could take issue with women being garment workers because it's a feminized job but like even just the fact that it's a job is like an issue for these men (laughs) just really frustrated but also unfortunately not surprised when you see in these parts of the world where like people are being taken advantage of surprised what's behind it is obviously the effect of capitalism colonialism and patriarchy and can see all of that in fashion and it just angers me so much and it saddens me that like these garment workers that are mostly women are having no choice but to work in these conditions while also having to suffer this emotionally abusive relationship in their workplace and then like culturally behind that they're like you know seen as like quote-unquote loose women it's just again like we're saying it's like perpetual negative feedback and it's it's really sad because a lot of the people that consume and the the marketing that happens within fashion is mostly towards women at the end of the day it's just it's, it's just this huge like power control that like just keeps happening yeah having to like travel for work having to leave their families there was a lot of workers in the factories from the blood sweat and t-shirts documentary that had to travel on a train And I think a lot of that has to do with policies that need to be put in place. So like that they do have these safe measurements where they can actually provide for themselves and their family. Yeah, I feel like that has to start with us on this side of the equator, valuing their labor loudly, being very vocal about it. Also, I think it's great. I think there's this really big movement that Fashion Revolution started. um, That's like a hashtag called Who Made My Clothes. Mm -hmm. As a consumer, what you can do is just demand for accountability. And I think that's one step into 
our long road of continuing to fight for garment worker rights while still being able to practice fashion and and our styles in a just and creative way. Creating that demand for brands to be transparent about where stuff is coming from, I think is a really big first step. If you get to the end of this podcast, (laughs) you should listen to Wardrobe Crisis. With Claire Press and and Nasma Atker. Yes, is one of the guests. She's the one that said 50% garment workers should be part of the conversation. And she's the one that called out Calvin Klein because she was a CEO or she was like at a convention or some kind of thing. She was actually at the Copenhagen summit. And basically it's like the summit that the fashion industry has. Yes. I was hoping you'd be able to enlighten me as to what that is. (laughs) (laughs) And, And they get together, talk about sustainability. And when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, this is great. And then like, then looking at who is on the panel, whose ideas are being put forward. I'm like, this is only a small portion of the industry, CEOs and like bigger designer names. And as you were saying, I think she was one of the first garment workers that had actually been on that panel. Yeah. So it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. The refrain of this podcast is just like the whole earth has to get together to make you a t-shirt. So yes, (laughs) the whole earth has to get together to make a t-shirt. Yes. Don't forget that. Invest in that. Invest in it. Exactly. Like we as consumers who are fortunate enough to decide who we vote for with our dollar, let's ask for accountability. Let's ask that these government workers get paid. Let's just say, we don't care if it's a 10 cent increase, like prove to us that these government workers are being paid a fair wage. Mm-hmm. We can do that. It's like we created these terrible systems around the fashion industry and other systems in the world. It's like then we can recreate something different. But also just like one thing about the garment workers and during the peak of the pandemic. Is- oh, yes, because she talks a lot about how the pandemic has made things worse. Oh, of course. The thing is, is because garment workers have continued to make products because we're us as consumers have decided to while we're, you know, in this lockdown, go on like Amazon or go on these like fast fashion sites and continue to order. So there is a need. Yeah. So like these government workers are still working during these scary times. And the conditions have definitely not They improved. haven't changed. Yeah. And the worst part is there's a lot of these places that haven't paid the factories. And right. Like, there's a lot of back orders because like canceled orders. Supplier so, issues. Exactly. It's really ridiculous. And then also on top of that, there was this thing going around the discussion of garment workers and also specifically Chinese garment workers and COVID and how like the light that they're putting on like Chinese Asian garment workers have just been really worse, you know, because a lot of the Asian hate that's been going on. Mm -hmm. But there are some factories that actually pay them fairly and in okay environments. I I have two friends actually that worked as garment workers in Montreal, in Chabanel, and I've seen photos of the actual factories and I was really shocked. I'm like, oh, it's, it's like clean, you know, from all the images that we're so used to seeing. And um, they were getting paid a fairly good wage, but it's still very laborious work. You know, she was telling me that her breaks and for the amount of times that she's sitting, crouch, sewing, you know, just even the physical aspects to it is really like, Mm -hmm. it's pretty intense. So I think it's also just seeing how us as consumers, how can we like shift maybe or try and like create a demand for like producing less things, 
you know, so people don't have to create as much and get paid well. Mm. For me, that's that would be the perfect way to kind of transition into something where we continue to provide these jobs. Let's talk goals for next week. What are you going to do now that we've had this conversation and now that we're thinking about how to make the people more accountable on this mm. side? What are you going to do to fulfill that or to take a step towards that? Right. The first thing that is helpful for a lot of us is to make sure we have the information about where to shop properly. And I know that does take an extra step to ask yourself, first of all, do I want the shirt? And if I do, do I know where it's made from? So I think that's already a, an exercise and a practice that we can do to ensure that we're like getting towards a more fair and just fashion industry. I do want to share this resource called Fashion Checker. Ooh! So fashionchecker.org and it is uh, so their tagline is, are the people who make your clothes paid enough to live on? So they survey brands and some some of the things that they check is supply chain ter- uh, transparency, how much is a living wage, what is action plan, public commitment, and separate labor costs. So what's really cool is the first one is Abercrombie & Fitch. So since we've been talking about them, let's click. So in this case, the headquarters, it says it's in the United States. For the revenue, they haven't... Wait, it's in the United States and they haven't disclosed the revenue? No. And they haven't disclosed living wage? Yep. No. Is it inmates? Because a big thing to know is like if something's ever said to be made domestically, a lot of the times that labor is unpaid or Mm -hmm. like very low wage paid. Prison labor or it's part of like some kind of (laughs) anti-recidivism program. Yeah, so maybe that's, that's probably what... yeah. I mean, they're not disclosing. And what's really cool about this site is that it tells you what other brands are owned by Abercrombie and Fitch. So, and then you scroll down, and what's really great is that you can sign the petition. In that, it is to payyourworkers.org. So it takes you into there. Whoa. And, um, yeah, and then you can share it. I'm gonna really do that. Like this this website. Um, it's called Fashion Checker. And what's cool about it is that it is funded by the eu whoa so i think that's something as well that other governments to support these kinds of things because data can be used to our our power and our advantage and i for me as a consumer to have a tool like fashion checker to see that that it's being supported financially that through the government feels a bit hopeful yeah once we get off this podcast i'm gonna look up every place i've ever shopped (laughs) and then there's another resource here for consumers it's called good on you and i started off really liking them because it was really easy to understand the data so it's like are they good so there's a huge smiley face if they're not neutral it's like a, a neutral smiley face but it's a bit trickier because sometimes there's like click ads and marketing so at oh. least we know with a website like this is being paid through the government. There's financial backing to it that's not coming from marketing. Right. It's going to take time, but I think we got to keep going. Those are some good goals. Yeah. Thank you again for talking with me. And I'm really glad that we got to dissect these pieces of media. We're going to link them somewhere for you guys to also go be able to consult them, as well as the stuff that we have mentioned. Mm-hmm. So. Be nice to your houseless neighbors and also Black Lives Matter. Bye. Theme song provided by Jonathan Robinson.